This is Nir Eyal, author of Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life, and you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know, and named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help us both discover new ideas so we can better succeed in the quickly changing field of modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or some other helpful resource that I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction and save you time. This show is produced by my marketing firm. We work with manufacturers to help them grow. If you're a manufacturer and are serious about growing your business, check out our guide to lead generation for manufacturers on our website, salesartillery.com, or Google lead generation for manufacturers, and you'll find the guide atop the organic results. And special thanks to this episode's sponsor, Hrefs. If getting more of the right kind of traffic to your website is a priority, but it just doesn't seem to be happening, you need to check out Hrefs, which is an all-in-one SEO tool set that helps you get your website to rank higher in Google, search results, and get a lot more of the right kind of search traffic. We use it here at Artillery. Now, a subscription to Hrefs can run in the hundreds of dollars per month, but Hrefs is offering a seven-day trial that gives you full access to every tool, feature, and report for only $7. For details, go to hrefs.com, spelled A-H-R-E-F-S.com. I'll have more details in a bit. And now, on with the show. Today, we welcome Nir Eyal back to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his new book, Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life, published by Ben Bella Books. Nir Eyal is the best-selling author of Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. He has taught at the Stanford Graduate School of Business and Hasso Plattner Institute of Design. His writing on technology, psychology, and business appears in the Harvard Business Review, The Atlantic, TechCrunch, and Psychology Today. Nir, congratulations on Indistractable, and welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you so much. It's been too long. I'm sorry it takes me so long to uh, write a book. Uh, it's great to be back. Well, thank you. And uh, you were guest number 16 on this oh podcast. Goodness. And this is, that is good. Right? Yeah, you were one of the very first uh, authors I got to interview. And this is going to be episode 240 something. So, Nir, I just want you to know you don't have to wait more than 200 episodes to come back on the Marketing Book Podcast. The door is, is wide open for you. Thank you. Well, I, I, I'm clearly you're a lucky charm here, right? I mean, look, you do a podcast with me, and then look how successful you became. See, cause and effect. <laughs> no, oh no, oh no. Um, I'm just the guy that loves reading these books and gets excited about interviewing the authors, and I just, I just keep going. Um, keep it up. It's awesome. I love your work. Thank you. So uh, you teach at Stanford. Uh, I taught at Stanford. I moved recently to oh. New York City now, so I don't teach at Stanford anymore. And now oh, okay. I'm just doing private sector work. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, well, no, okay. but you do have to. you do have a degree from Stanford. 
Yes. Okay. I went there for MBA, my MBA. Right? So as it turns out, careful listeners to the Marketing Book Podcast will know that there is something about authors with Stanford degrees who write these sales and marketing type books. There have been more authors on the Marketing Book Podcast over the last 200 or so episodes with Stanford degrees than any other school. And it's turned into sort of a running joke. And I'm starting to ask, like, when you apply to Stanford, if you agree to write a sales or marketing book if you graduate, does that somehow improve your chances? Because if that's the case, you better put that on your daughter's application. <laughs> you you check a box on your application. Will you write a sales or marketing book by the time you graduate? Exactly. Right, right. So I, I can only assume that's that's the situation. Now, not to talk too much about schools, but I do know that you're an Emory grad. And I am, yeah. A couple of years, a year or so ago, I had the honor of interviewing Jagdish Sheth about his book, The Four A's of Marketing, that he wrote with uh, Rahindra Sisodia. And he's a professor at Emory. Was he ever one of your, were you ever in any of his classes? No, I'm old, Douglas. I'm, uh, I think he came after me. I, I graduated there. I went there for undergrad, but uh-huh. that was uh, right. ancient history now. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, he's 80 now, yeah. and I thought he'd been there for a, a good yeah, long time. Could be. So in the beginning of this book, uh, you did mention your other book, Hooked. Mm-hmm. And uh, you happened to mention that Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, has been known to hold your book Hooked up and, and has said he recommends that every Microsoft employee read it. So congratulations on that. And, and for those who are not yet familiar with the book Hooked, can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So Hooked was about how to build habit-forming products. And I wrote that book. It's just coming on its uh, fifth year anniversary. Uh, and at the time, I had to convince people that consumer psychology and behavioral design mattered. Uh, that at the time, when, when we did our interview, I had to convince people, no, 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 the, these people who are making these products actually understand consumer psychology. They know what makes you click and what makes you tick better than you understand yourself. They didn't just get lucky. That was kind of the the, the perception that Mark Zuckerberg just got lucky and, and the, the Jack Dorsey just got lucky with Twitter. And 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 what I was trying to espouse is that, no, actually, they, they created these products and services uh, because they designed them to be engaging, to be sticky, to be habit forming. And so my idea was, you know, what if we could all democratize that method? What if we could build the kind of products and services that people use because they want to, not because they have to? And so that's really what that, that's been the mission of my work since writing Hooked is really about uh, getting these techniques out there. And, and what's been so amazing and satisfying to see on my end as the author is all uh, are all the ways that this work has been used in industries that I never expected to use it. Oh, really? So, yeah. So, you know, Kahoot is the world's largest educational software. Uh, they use the hook model to make uh, school learning more engaging, more habit forming. Well, that's uh, good to hear model. because there were yeah. so many situations in Hooked that uh, kind of made me a little uncomfortable, which is also why you talked toward the end of that book about the ethics of exactly. knowing this information. Yeah. So people who actually finished the book realized I wrote that part. A lot of folks didn't read, didn't read the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ethics, whatever. I, make a book about addiction. Well, actually, the book is not about addiction. It's called How to Build Habit-Forming Products. There's a big difference between a habit and a, an addiction. Uh, and the goal was never to use this stuff for Facebook and Google. and my, you know, they, they know these techniques. The gaming companies, they've known it for a very long time. What I wanted to do was to use these techniques to build healthy habits in all sorts of businesses, you know, education, uh, health care, savings, you know, all of these industries need to make the kind of products that people use habitually. And so that's really where, where Hooked is, is, uh, is very valuable. Well, 
Nir, the next time you meet Satya Nadella, um, <laughs> just do me a favor uh, and ask him if he wouldn't mind recommending the Marketing Book Podcast to all his employees, just like <laughs> he did with your book. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah. So your book, Hooked, was actually an inspiration for this podcast. I know you don't know that, but before I started the podcast, this must have been 2014 maybe, I received a copy of the book from your publisher and I had I hadn't received a book like that before that I could that I could recall. And they said, "Here's this new book. You you know the people you that read your blog might be interested in this, and he'd certainly be available for an interview." And I just there was something about that. And at the same time, I was also thinking about doing this podcast. And I remember one day I called uh, your representative up at the publisher and I said, "Hey, um, I don't know. This comes out of the blue, but I just had this crazy idea about interviewing authors like Near." Do you know of any other podcasts like that? And she said, no, that sounds like a great idea. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, I did that. And so, uh, you know, you never know how your, how your, uh, your actions are going to, uh, affect others. But one thing I did that did happen is after I read your book, Hooked, in all honesty, I, I did get a little bit frightened. I mean, I was a little mm. bit freaked out. It was like mm. turning the lights on at a beach house in Florida and seeing all the <laughs> cockroaches scramble. <laughs> And as time went on and I read more of your articles, I started to realize, wait a minute, this this really is a thing. And I started yeah, taking yeah. other actions. I We'll talk about this later, but I, I actually removed the social media apps from my phone. And I just, I really, you've got this guy's attention. And I, obviously, you've got uh, the attention of many, uh, many people. So thanks for that. Yeah, no, and that, that always was part of the in- attention, intention of the book was to... Uh, help people build healthy habits using these technologies, but also to say, look, you know, this is how this stuff works. It wasn't as explicit. I, w- I didn't provide a formula for how to break bad habits in Hooked, uh, and that's a big reason why I wrote Indistractable. <laughs> I just couldn't put them both in one book. Uh, and at the time, frankly, nobody was thinking about uh, the fact that we could overuse this stuff. The problem that that businesses had back then and still do, look, the vast majority of products out there, let's, let's be honest here, the vast majority of products don't suck us in the way Facebook and Instagram or WhatsApp do. The, the vast majority of products out there just suck. And so <laughs> that's, that's who Hooked is for. It's not for Facebook and the gaming companies. They don't need my help. They've used these techniques for years and years. But uh, their book is on every shelf in any Silicon Valley company. Yeah, yeah, it has become it has become kind of a, a guidebook. But you know, here's the thing. So you'll re- recall that the case study in Hook, the only chapter devoted to a case study. Do you remember the case study by chance? At the very back of the book, uh, I, I won't put you on the spot. It's okay. It's been five years. It was the Bible app, mm. the Bible app, the habit forming nature of the Bible app. Uh, now, why did I put that in there? I put that in there one because it's a great example of the hook model. It's it's a huge app. It has hundreds of millions of downloads. Now, what you think about the Bible app says a lot about what you think about the use of habit forming technology. Because if you believe that using the Bible, uh, reading Scripture out of habit, is something that gives people comfort. It helps them live out their values. It provides a community. It's something enriching in people's lives. It's a healthy habit. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. But if you believe that religion is a divisive force, that it pulls people apart, then you're not going to like habit-forming technology. And that exact same argument can be made about Facebook, video games, Instagram, you name it. Mm-hmm. Email? Email? <laughs> a political <laughs> talk shows? Of, of course, television, news, football. I mean, all of these things are potential 
distractions. Yes. So to, in my mind, it's, it's, you know, I, I wish I could say that I, you know, made these products habit forming, the ones that people think are too engaging. I didn't, I don't, I don't, you know, they, they were habit forming for a very long time. When I'm talking about the, the big guys, the Google, the Facebooks, uh, the, the other companies like Kahoot and, and, uh, uh, Fitbod and many other companies that have since used the book. Yeah. I can take a very, very small piece of the credit of these companies using my book for good, but there's a strict code of companies I won't work with. I won't work with any company that preys upon addicts. I won't work with gambling companies. I won't work with alcohol, tobacco, firearms, pornography. There's a list of industries I won't work with mm-hmm. who require addiction. But th- that's for addiction. And addiction is very different from a habit. The right. vast majority of business people out there listening to, to this or reading my book, Hooked, they're not building the kind of products that are ever going to addict somebody. They're building SaaS software and marketing automation tools and CRM systems. They're not, they're, nobody's getting addicted to any of that stuff. Right. And I would think that so many of those companies that have products that, as you say, suck, if they were to start thinking about how they could get their products, uh, get their customers a little more hooked on their products, right. uh, their products might actually start to improve. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, for many industries, you know, anything that is, is bought on a, on a SaaS basis, if you can't keep your com- customers using your, your product, uh, they're going to churn. You're in big, big trouble. So yes. if you can't form a habit, it's an existential threat to your company's survival if you can't form a habit. Yes, absolutely. Well, let's move on. I just wanted to quote from um, two parts at the very beginning of the book. In the future, there will be two kinds of people in the world. Those who let their attention and lives be controlled and coerced by others and those who proudly call themselves indistractable. By opening this book, you've taken the first step to owning your time and your future. And moving on to another section. In researching and writing this book over the past five years and by following the science-backed methods you'll soon learn, I'm now more productive, physically and mentally stronger, better rested, and more fulfilled in my relationships than I've ever been. This book is about what I learned as I developed the most important skill for the 21st century. It's about how I became indistractable and how you can do. So, Nir, tell us the story about how your daughter helped to inspire the research that went into writing this book. First of all, I should have hired you to do the audiobook. That was terrific. Oh, thank that, you. That was really good. So, uh, yeah, I'll tell you this, this story of what inspired this book. So about a year after Hooked was published, I had some time with my daughter, and we, we uh, spent a lot of time together, thankfully. And, and one afternoon, I was sitting with her in her room, and we had some daddy-daughter time together. And she had this book of different activities, this daddy-daughter book of different things that you could do uh, as a family together. And one of the activities in the book was to ask each other this question. I remember it so clearly. The question was, if you could have any superpower, what superpower would you want? And I wish I could tell you what she said, but I don't know what she said. Because in that moment, I was looking at my phone. Mm. And when I, uh, when I got a hold of myself and looked up, she was gone. She left the room. Because she had gotten the message that she was less important than whatever I was looking at on my phone. And I'm embarrassed to tell you this, uh, but if, it, if I told you that uh, that was an isolated incident, I'd be lying. And around this very same time, I noticed that I was having trouble getting my work done as well. You know, I'm a writer, and so I, I, I set my own deadlines. And I found it really hard to do the work I knew I had to do. Uh, I noticed my friends, sometimes myself, I would, we would go out to dinner 
and we'd start using our cell phones when we had planned to be together. And so around this time, I started, you know, thinking, oh my God, you know, I, I wrote this book hooked and here I am getting unhealthily hooked to some of these products and services. And if I'm struggling with it, I wonder if other people are too. Mm -hmm. And so I did what I always do when I have a big question. I thought about it and thought about it and then I needed some help. I kind of came to a dead end and I said, okay, I'm going to read every book I can possibly find on this topic. Uh, and I bought dozens of book, books on uh, focus and uh, productivity, uh, you know, life hacking, all of these tips and tricks on what to do. And they basically all said the same thing. They said, get rid of the technology. Go on a digital detox, 30-day mm -hmm. uh, plan. And I did that. I bought myself a uh, feature phone from Alibaba that uh, you know, only takes calls and sends text messages. I got myself a word processor off of eBay from the 1990s that has no internet <laughs> connection. And I sat down, I said, okay, I'm gonna do it. The technology was the problem, so if I want to focus, if I wanna minimize distraction, I have to get rid of the technology. And I sat down to work, and I looked behind me, and there was these, these books I didn't finish reading that I, you know, I should probably crack those open. There's probably something interesting I should, I should look at there. And, oh, you know what, my desk needs a little tidying up here. And, oh, my, my, my garbage can probably should be emptied. And so I, I found myself still getting distracted. And then I realized the reason that all of these books that tell you that the technology is the problem are wrong is for the same exact reason that I struggled with my weight. Uh, so I used to be clinically obese. Really? I no longer am. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh. For many years. Wow. And when I was obese, I remember I would go on these fad diets. And I would say, okay, 30 days, just like they tell you to do with these digital detoxes, you know, get rid of the technology. I would say, okay, get rid of the fattening food. Uh, you know, no more fat, then no more carbs, no more junk food for 30 days. And then guess what happened on day 31? You'd start eating again. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, lost time, you know, for the listener who can't see you, it's just so surprising to hear that. I did not know that about you. You look like somebody who could be in the Tour de France. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. Well, it's still st something I struggle with. In fact, I kind of credit the fact that I struggled with my weight for, for all these years with my fascination with acrasia. Acrasia is this uh, term that Socrates and Plato coined 2,500 years ago, which means, you know, this tendency that people have to do things against their better interest. That's this underlying question of indistractable. Why do we do things we know we shouldn't do? Why don't we do the things we know we should do? That is fascinating to me. And so, it's, it's not a new problem, and I didn't find still a good answer for it. And so that was what prompted me to, to say, let me dive deeper here. Maybe the problem isn't about technology. Maybe that's the proximate cause. I want to understand the root cause because if you ask me today, back to you know, full circle with the, the story with my daughter, if you ask me today what skill I would want, what superpower I would want, the macro skill of this 21st century, as the world becomes even more distracting, as technology becomes more persuasive and pervasive, this means that it's going to be even more difficult to focus, to do what you say you're going to do. So the skill of the next century is becoming indistractable. Imagine how powerful we could become if we did everything we said we were going to do. And that's what being indistractable is all about. It's about striving to live with personal integrity. You know, we don't lie to others. Be, be, being called a liar is, is incredibly offensive. You don't wanna be called a liar. You would never lie to your good friends, your colleagues, your, your family. And yet we lie to ourselves all the time. We say we're gonna do one thing, and we don't. We say we're going to work out. We don't. We say we're going to sit down at our desk and work on that big project, but we'll just you know check email for a few minutes or check a Slack channel for a little bit or Google something. I'm we laughing don't... to keep from crying. 
Yeah, right. I, and I'm with you, buddy. <laughs> this was my life. And so I wanted to dive deeper. And I, I just didn't buy this, this notion that the tech is the problem. There's something deeper going on that I wanted to get to the bottom of. Right, right. And uh, you, uh, just to, to reiterate a couple things there, is it's not about the technology. And it was interesting to be reminded that distractions are not just a modern issue. There's, mm-hmm. perhaps you could quickly tell us about who this Tantalus guy was uh, back in yeah. ancient Greece and, uh, and what his curse was. And, yeah, and, so- what, and, and, and uh, how his name uh, made its way into the modern English vernacular. Right. So I have to give my daughter credit for this as well. So she was reading uh, one of her mythology books. I think it was one of these Percy Jackson books. And there was this character from Greek mythology that I'd never heard of called Tantalus. And Tantalus is where we get the word tantalize from. Uh, to, to tant- something tantalizing means something desirable just out of reach. And if I tell you the story of, of Tantalus, you'll understand why. So Tantalus was cursed to spend eternity in the underworld where he stood in a puddle of water, and above his head was a branch with fruit right above his head. And when he got hungry, he would reach for the, the fruit, but the branch would recede, so he couldn't reach it. And when he was thirsty, he would bend down to drink, and the puddle of water would evaporate. And so he was constantly cursed to strive to get something desirable just out of reach. He was tantalized. We're going to take a break here so I can tell you more about Ahrefs and a really sweet offer they have. If getting more of the right kind of traffic to your website is a priority, but it just doesn't seem to be happening, you need to check out Ahrefs, which is an all-in-one SEO tool set that helps you get your website to rank higher in Google search results and get a lot more of the right kind of search traffic. We use it here at Artillery. A few of my favorite tools include the site audit. This crawls your entire website and gives a comprehensive report on any issues that may be hurting your SEO performance. And you're going to be surprised and maybe a little bit embarrassed at what the site audit will find. If you're a marketer responsible for your website, you'll want to run this report before your boss does. And if you're an agency responsible for your client's website, you better run this report before your clients do. Another one is Site Explorer. This is where you can research any website, but especially your competitors. One popular way to use this is to figure out your competitors' marketing strategies by studying the keywords they rank for in search results and finding out the pages that bring them the most traffic from search. You can research anything from how fast their search traffic is growing to which websites are linking to them to the pages on their website with the most backlinks. Another one is Keyword Explorer. This is great to have before you create even more content for your site. This tool helps you discover thousands of great keyword ideas and gauge how difficult it is to rank for them and then calculate their traffic potential. You can also confirm what your potential customers are searching for online to help make sure that you're including the right keywords and content on your site. Now, a monthly subscription to Ahrefs can run in the hundreds of dollars, but Ahrefs is offering a seven-day trial that gives you full access to every tool, feature, and report for only $7. So, Even if you don't end up subscribing, the reports that you can run are a phenomenal value. Seriously. Otherwise, if you've got money coming out the wazoo, hire an SEO firm, give them a king's ransom, but don't be upset when you find out they're using Ahrefs to run the same reports that you can run. Also, just a bit of medical advice. If you've got money coming out the wazoo, 
you should probably get that checked. Now, are there other all-in-one SEO tools? Sure there are, and they're good. But in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com, there's a link to an article about the nine most important features that Ahrefs has that no other SEO tool does. Check that out. To get the seven-day trial for just $7, visit hrefs.com, spelled A-H-R-E-F-S.com. And now, back to the show. Now, Tantalus is such an interesting story because on the surface, it feels like it's revealing to us this, this part of being a fallible human being, that uh, uh, we always want more and more and more. And, th- and that is actually true. I mean, part of my gripe with the self-help industry is that we're, we've been lied to that somehow if we're not happy, if we're not satisfied, we're not normal. And that is rubbish. In fact, yes. on an evolutionary basis, you are not designed to be satisfied. Your dissatisfaction is what progresses our species. But that dissatisfaction can also come at a cost, that we have to harness the power of dissatisfaction to make sure we can use it in healthful as opposed to hurtful ways. So here's what I love about the story of Tantalus. The the real lesson of Tantalus is not that we are cursed to this forever. The real story of Tantalus, the, the insight that I think is really revealed in this story, is the folly of Tantalus not realizing that he actually had a choice. Because let, let's take a step back here. Tantalus is already dead. He's in the underworld. What would happen if he didn't want water anymore? What would happen if he didn't reach for that fruit? Well, they, can't, they can't send him to hell. They can't, he can't die again. He's already dead. Right. He's already in hell. And that's a great metaphor for what we do. We think we need things. We're, we are deluded with a story that we need to pick up our cell phone, that we need to check email, that we need to be up to date on everything that's happening in the news all the time. Mm-hmm. And you know what? We don't. We don't need those things. But unlike Tantalus, who never realized it, we can realize that we don't have to constantly be slaves to these distractions. Yes, yes. Now, to set the stage for the few other things we want to talk about, let's talk about the four-part distractible model. Now, as I mentioned, this is an audio-only podcast, but I'd like you to, if you could, paint a visual picture of the four forces at work, you know, the the, the triggers and the distraction and traction. Yeah, yeah so let me try and paint a picture. I'll, I'll give you a link to the uh, picture of the model because I think it's very useful. It's, it's, it's a very important visual that I'd love listeners to, to see in their heads. And so the idea here, I'll try and paint the picture, but in order to understand what is distraction, we, we really have to define the term. What does that term even mean? The opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction is traction. Traction and distraction come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. So traction is any action you take that pulls you towards what you want. Okay. Distraction is the opposite of traction. Distraction is any action that pulls you away from what you really want. What's important to remember here is that both traction and distraction end in the same word. They both end in the word action, reminding us that that distraction is not something that happens to us, but rather an action we take, something we ourselves do. So this is really important for a few reasons. One, it frees us from this moral uh, high ground of saying, oh, what I do is somehow morally superior, but what you do, oh, that's reprehensible. That playing Candy Crush or video games, bad, but watching football on TV, that's good. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> Anything you plan to do, whether it's 
checking email or watching Netflix or a football game, whatever it is that you plan to do with intent is traction and it's terrific. Do it. But anything you do instead of that act of traction is a distraction. So where this is so pernicious is, you know, when you sit down at your desk, you want to do that big project and you don't do that big project because, oh, I'll do something else that kind of feels like work. It feels like I'm productive. Oh, I'll just check Slack for a minute. I'll just check an email real quick. That's something I need to do, right? That's kind of a work-related task. No, if it's something you didn't plan to do, it's just as pernicious. It's just as much of a distraction. So we have traction to the right. We have distraction to the left. That's the horizontal axis. Now we have crossing the horizontal axis. We have a vertical line. And that vertical line, picture two arrows pointing to the center point, right? Pointing to the, the, the center of those two crossing axes. And you have here two arrows pointing that represent external triggers and internal triggers. External triggers, these are the things in our environment that prompt us to traction or distraction. You know, the pings, the dings, the rings, all of these things that prompt us to either traction or distraction. If a if an external trigger reminds you, hey, it's time to go work out, it's time to uh, that meeting you planned for, the phone call, time to be with your kids, whatever it might be, that's moving you towards traction. But if it distracts you, if it if it's a notification on your phone when you're with your daughter as I was, and I plan to be with her, and now I'm on my phone, well, that was a distraction. So it's a great example of how you know, this, uh, the same tool, so to speak, can lead us either way based on what we intended to do. Now, all that leads us to the number one source of distraction, that in my five years of research on this topic, one of the things that blew me away is the realization that most distraction starts from within. Because if we really want to understand distraction, we have to take even a, a step further down. Let's not only ask ourselves, why do we get distracted? Why do we do things against our better interests? Why do we do anything? Right. What's, the, what's the root of human motivation? Why do we do anything? Mm -hmm. And so most people will tell you it's about carrots and sticks, right? It's about right. motivation, yeah. Yeah, motivation is about the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain. Turns out, this is not true. Mm. That inside our brains, neurologically speaking, Motivation is driven by one thing, and that is the desire to escape discomfort. Even the pursuit of pleasure, wanting, craving, desire, is psychologically uncomfortable. It's the reason we say love hurts, because <laughs> mm. wanting something, in fact, is uncomfortable. So that means if all human behavior is driven by the desire to escape discomfort, that means that time management is pain management. And this is what I think that everyone else so far that I've read on this topic of time management and procrastination and distraction and uh, life hacks is missing, is that if we are to do what we say we're going to do, it's not about what we don't know. I mean, everybody in the self-help industry tells you what to do, but we know what to do. We basically know, look, if you wanna be healthy, Eat right, exercise. If you wanna be good at your job, do the work. If you wanna have good relationships, be fully present with people. We know. Why don't we do it? We don't do it because we don't know how to manage distraction. And the first step is to master the uncomfortable internal triggers that drive us to distraction in the first place. When we check our phones, when we can't sit at dinner time without checking our phones, when we can't do our work because we're constantly distracted, if we don't get to the root cause of what uncomfortable feeling we're trying to escape, we will always succumb to distraction. So when somebody pulls up to the red light in their car and their phone's on the 
seat next to them and they reactively uh, pick it up to mm-hmm. to just to see if somebody's messaged them or just something. Why do people do that? What, what do you think? Because they don't want to be alone with their thoughts. Mm-hmm. Boredom. Yeah. Anxiety, fatigue, uncertainty, all those things. And whether it's the bottle, the cigarette, the iPhone, you name it. All of these things we do to get out of our heads, to escape an uncomfortable emotional state. But why are they uncomfortable? Yeah, that's, that's a terrific question because we are designed to be uncomfortable. Uh, one of the things that- And it really, helped our, our ancestors living in caves, right? That's exactly right. So there are four attributes of the human gene pool, I should say. I'm not exactly sure how to- Four cognitive quirks that we have. That, that aren't going away for maybe another away. million years. <laughs> we are hardwired these, this way. That served us on the Serengeti, but backfired today. Mm-hmm. And so there, there are several factors that make us perpetually perturbed. Now, the self-help industry will tell you that if you're not happy, you're not normal. And that nothing could be further from the truth. That, in fact, we are designed to constantly be dissatisfied. And so the idea is that if we understand that we are never designed to be satisfied for long, that happiness is by design supposed to be fleeting, then we can harness it for good. But if we beat ourselves up and say, oh, there must be something wrong with me, I must be broken, or you know, those are the, the shamers, I call them, the people who say there's something wrong with them. Then you have the blamers. The blamers say, the technology companies are doing it to me. This, the, you know, these big bad businesses are doing it to me. Mm-hmm. Those are the blamers. The answer is not correct with the blamers or the shamers. The answer is that these are behaviors, and behaviors can change. So let's move on to a couple other things I think will be very practical. But let me ask one other thing about that, which is explain what you mean when you say that reimagining our temperament mm. can help us manage our internal triggers. Yeah. So this was some of the most eye-opening research that I found. So I give many ways to to uh, master these internal triggers. And, and so what you, you're mentioning here is one tactic uh, that we can use to do that. And this tactic has to do with reimagining our temperament. And reimagining our temperament, our temperament uh, temperament is defined as, as some kind of quality or trait of a person or, a, a, you know, a, let's in this case, a person. And so where this is so harmful is when we have these ideas of us being of of our self-image being a certain way that is fixed in some way that we can't do anything about. A great example of this is this myth of ego depletion. There's this pretty now it's a pretty pervasive myth that your willpower is like a gas tank. I'm sure you've heard this before. It's yes. been everywhere. Mm-hmm. That uh, there was some actually some some research done on this that the idea that willpower runs out like gas in a gas tank. And this was promoted for a while until Researchers all over the world thought, you know what, this sounds too good to be true. Something's not exactly right here. So they decided to replicate these studies, and they couldn't replicate them. Study after study cannot find ego depletion, except for, except for one researcher by the name of Carol Dweck at Stanford found that ego depletion does exist in the case of people who believe it exists. <laughs> this is so telling. Because what this tells us is that if you believe that you have run out of willpower, and this, by the way, this happened to me. I mean, I'm ground zero in this case. I would come home every day after work and say, I've had such a hard day. I'm spent. 
Yes. Right. I need to indulge. I have no more willpower to say no. Give me the Ben and Jerry's. Give me the Netflix remote. I need a break. I am spent. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that if you believe that rubbish, you act accordingly. So I was self-sabotaging myself and I didn't need to. It was a story I made up that I believed that that these psychologists had told me that would serve my interest and allowed me to be lazy, frankly. So we need to ask ourselves if our temperament is really as cemented as we think. And this is part of the problem why I get so angry these days with people telling this myth that technology is hijacking your brain, that technology is addicting you. Clearly, asterisks here. Technology does addict some people, people who have a pathology, about 1% to 5% of the population. 95 to 99% of us are not addicted to technology, but when we keep believing this rubbish that it's addictive and it's hijacking our kids' brains and hijacking our brains, we believe it's true and we act accordingly and we self-sabotage because we, believe, we it's called learned helplessness. We stop trying because, hey, I can't do anything about it. These companies, they're hijacking my brain. And that's one of the reasons that I really wanted to write this book is because there's just so much misinformation that's really hurting people because it's giving them this myth that that is not help in not empowering them to do something about the problem. Yes, there were so many myths that you're helping to uh, puncture mm. in your book. And doggone it, you've actually got all this science to prove it. That's what I hated. <laughs> These studies... <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. true. I mean, so a, a few, particularly with the parenting section, there's a section there on uh, how to raise indistractable kids uh, that if you're a parent like I am, uh, you're not going to like. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> the truth, I, I believe it. I, I, from all the research I've seen, it is a pretty ironclad. I feel great about that chapter, but you're, you know, you're not going to like it. <laughs> right, right. No, I saw and the my... same with the workplace. Actually, there's a chapter there about you know I say that distraction at work is a symptom of dysfunctional workplace culture. Yeah. Another thing, if you're a boss and you find that your workplace is distracted, I've got bad news for you. It ain't the tech's fault. It's your culture's fault. Yes. Yes. So interesting to see that. Although I would prefer that you had just had a simple, you know, answer to how to solve that. Hey, let's talk about some of the really practical things that have even made it into my my world over over time, and even a few that I've done since uh, reading the book. Uh, explain the concept of time boxing and how that helped to transform a lot of your daily life. Absolutely. So. I, uh, in researching this book, I, you know, I figured out this, uh, this number line of traction and distraction that we talked about earlier, right? Traction is things that you pull you towards what you want to do in life. Distraction is anything that's not that, but here's the problem. How do you know the difference between traction and distraction? You see, distraction tricks you. Distraction makes you think that what you're working on right now is actually something very important. Yeah, I should totally check those emails because that's kind of a worky thing to do, Right. When you said to yourself, no, I'm going to do that big project that I really don't want to do, but that's what I was supposed to do with my time. So that's a distraction. It fooled you. But you can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. So while writing this book, I had a conversation with a friend of mine who told me, oh, I'm so distracted. I, you know, I, the Twitter is this and news is this and the, my boss wants this from me and my kids want that. I just so distracted all day. I can't get anything done. And I asked her, I said, wow, that's, that's really tough. Can you tell me what it is you planned to do? What did you get distracted from? She said, what do you mean? I said, let me see your calendar. What did you plan to do today that you didn't get done because of all these terrible distractions? And she pulls out her phone and she shows me her calendar app and it's blank. There's just nothing on it, like a dentist appointment maybe or a phone call. 
The fact is, in this day and age, if you don't plan your day, somebody else will. These companies, these tech companies, I'm telling you this as an industry insider, I wrote the book about it, they will get you. If you don't plan your day down to the minute, not only are they gonna take up your time, the news companies are gonna take up your time, the, your boss is gonna take your time, your customers are gonna take your time, your kids, your spouse, all of these people are gonna make you do things you didn't wanna do and make you think you did. <laughs> right. And the only way to fight this is intent. Mm -hmm. The antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. I don't care how great the algorithms over at Facebook get and Google get. I don't care what happens in the news that might distract you. I don't care how distracting your workplace is. If you plan ahead, if we take steps in advance to make sure that we plan our time accordingly, this is a major step towards becoming indistractable. So that means we need to plan out every minute of the day. Now, not it doesn't mean we beat ourselves up if we fall off track. It means that we can begin using a system to never get distracted by the same thing twice. Right? Mm -hmm. That's insanity. Doing the same thing over and over again expecting different results. We keep getting distracted because we don't know why. So the idea is everything on your calendar is traction. Everything that ain't that is distraction. So get things on your calendar. Get everything on your calendar. Now, there's actually a tool. I'll give you a link in the show notes because I kept getting asked for some kind of tool to do this because I think Google Calendar is, is way too difficult to use to do this. But what you want to do is create a template for your ideal week. Now, ideal week in the real world, not on, you know, retirement or when you're on vacation. So you have to take into account transportation time, you know, feeding time, hygiene, all that stuff needs to be on your calendar as well. But the idea is that you have a template. Maybe it takes you 20, 30 minutes to do it the first time. And then you're checking in with it every week, takes me 15 minutes per week, and you're adjusting that calendar accordingly to make sure that you understand what your ideal week looks like in the week ahead. Mm -hmm. So it was very interesting to read in the, the book about <laughs> this time boxing idea and sort of holding yourself accountable, but also I think not beating yourself up when you have become distracted, but be aware that you have been distracted from what you want to do. Now, I want to ask... Uh, this is probably the idea above all the others that really seared itself into mm. my consciousness. And I think it was even, I, I got some of this from, from Hooked. And, uh, and, I, and I focus group tested that here in the office too. At chapter 13, you urge everyone, uh, as, and this particularly relates to uh, any kind of distractions you get, like on your phone or, or email or, or somebody coming by your desk or whatever. You urge everyone to ask the critical question. Yeah. What is that critical question? So this has to do with the third step. So we covered step one is uh, master the internal triggers. Step two is make time for traction. Step three is hack back the external triggers. Yes. So external triggers are these things in our environment that prompt us to action, either traction or distraction. And so what we need to do is to ask ourselves the critical question of, is this external trigger serving me or am I serving it? Say that again. Is this external trigger serving me or am I serving it? Boy, that really resonates with me. So many, many of the external triggers in our life are great. They help us do things we want to do, right? They remind us about a meeting, go work out, whatever it might be. That's great if they serve you. But if it doesn't serve you, we got to get rid of it. And not just on our phones, right? Of course, I teach you about how to get rid of it on your phone, your desktop. But 
the same pernicious triggers exist in the workplace in open floor plan offices, yes. right? Uh, somebody coming by and saying, hey, can I just talk to you for a second, Douglas? Yeah. I just, I just want to, I'm working right now. <laughs> can I pick your brain? <laughs> yeah, can I pick your brain? Exactly. Meetings. Oh my God, what a distraction meetings are these days, right? Yeah. So we need to know how to become indistractable in these different environments by asking that critical question. And then I, I show you exactly how to make sure you get rid of the dis, uh, the external triggers that don't serve you. What what resonated most for you? It sounded like that, that was a, a section you really enjoyed. Well, it just seemed to go through everything. And I think it, it well, I guess email is a great example where in the past I needed to have that BlackBerry because I, you know, would be gone for hours and I couldn't miss a, a message because everyone, I guess, they thought you had to be in your office. But then over time it became, no, uh, to, to use a, uh, a phrase the kids use these days, you're not the boss of me. It's like <laughs> I answer email on my terms. Mm. I wait until noon to answer that email, and you have a whole section on that about how to take that back. In fact, you even included the part about stop answering emails right away. You can even schedule them to go back to your client or your boss hours later. Don't train them to expect a a quick response. And also, I had forgotten and I needed the reminder about how much of a drain, a cognitive drain it is to keep shifting uh, from, from one task to another, back to email, back off. Um, so that was one that, uh, you know, was uh, very helpful and a good reminder that I want to be in control. There was also something in the book where you, it, it, I was just reminded that there's a lot of thievery going on. And that mm. thievery is my time and attention. And I, so I want that. So I was very much inspired to say, no, wait a minute. No, wait a minute. Now, years ago, I went into my phone based on an article I saw you read and it showed me how to turn off the notifications for everything. Mm-hmm. And then I turned it back on like for the phone or the uh, like the text in case my kids needed something. But it's, and I'm really uh, aggressive about that uh, now. And I've turned off all those kinds of things. And then as I later t- just removed all the social media from my phone. And then, you know, th- since this is becoming sort of a support group uh, near, uh, mm-hmm. I just have a Love confession it. to make. So yeah. I don't have any of those things on my phone, and I even have the smallest phone I can find, like a f- iPhone 5S, because uh-huh. I don't even I don't want to enjoy being on there. You don't want to add that friction. But yeah. I found I was backsliding, and then I read your book, and it was snapped me too. I was going into Safari, the browser, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I had logged into LinkedIn and Facebook just to see if people had messaged me because the interface isn't very good. And then I read the book, and I thought, dang it, yep. You're not getting away with that. I went in yeah. and cleared out all the uh, uh, saved passwords. <laughs> nice. So I can't nice. save those. But there was something else you had um, that oh, you... Oh, let me ask you real quick before you move on. Do you, when do you now check uh, LinkedIn and all those messages? Wh- when do you do it if not on your phone? On my laptop or on my desktop at work. There you go. So here's here. This is the critical insight. It's not that I'm saying don't use these tools. They're great. What I'm saying is use them on your schedule. Yes. Not on the app maker's schedule. Yes. Oh man, that really it helped me understand that I needed I, that I wanted uh, that control back, and I was resentful of the control that uh, some of these digital things had on me. And as a matter of fact. I have been using for years something you recommend in the book. It's a Chrome plugin called Newsfeed Eradicator for Facebook. Yes. Newsfeed yes, Eradicator one, one for, for LinkedIn now, too, by the oh, way. Oh, that's right. You mentioned that. Yeah. And basically, if you go to Facebook, let's say on your browser, because it's not on my phone, where the newsfeed is, it just has an inspirational quote. It somehow takes mm-hmm. that out. So I can still go on there and see if somebody's trying to get in touch with me, but yep. I'm not pulled into that seductive vortex 
of the newsfeed, which sure enough, just would pull me right in. So I it's use that. to do that. Absolutely. Yes. Well, it's they know exactly what they're doing. They're smart yes. people there. But here's the thing. We are more powerful. Yes. There ain't nothing Zuckerberg can do now that you've installed this, by the way, free Chrome extension to get rid of the newsfeed. Right. Newsfeed, Facebook newsfeed eradicator. By the way, I do something similar on YouTube. I don't want to see those That's... damn ads. I don't want uh, all those distractions, all those external triggers. Yeah. So I've, I've hacked back, right? They try and hack our brains but we can hack back their software, and it's there's nothing they can do. I know. <laughs> we win. There's one other uh, section you had in the book, and that was about group chat, you know, like mm-hmm. using Slack, and we use Slack, and lots of people use Slack. A lot of companies use it. And one of the – you interviewed the you, – you quoted from the head of Slack. You quoted from the head of uh, 37 Signals, uh, inventors of uh, Basecamp. Mm-hmm. And there was a, a subhead that said, use Slack like a sauna. Now, you know, I'm a very literal person, so when I was using Slack here at the office, I only had a towel on, okay? Oh, no. And <laughs> By the way, sauna, uh, like the, the, the hot water, not asana. Asana oh. is another productivity tool, but there's sauna and asana. But oh, yeah, you're, okay. But you, you, you got the word right. You yeah. The, well, uh, so the then some of my wrong. colleagues, they got hold of the book, and they said, Douglas, this isn't what Nir Eyal is talking about. Now, <laughs> Please, for the love of yeah. God, put some but, clothes on. So, but w- explain what what Slack is, and then and yeah. what the CEO recommends when he says use Slack like a sauna. I thought it was so uh, helpful and empowering when I saw those two uh, leaders, as it relates to this group chat software, saying, "Don't use this for everything." Right. That's exactly right. That one of the problem people. Uh, one of the inappropriate use, I think, of, of group chat like uh, Slack or, or uh, many other tools out there that have this type of functionality is that people leave it open all day long. That is a big mistake. So that's mm-hmm. why he says use it like a sauna. A sauna, you get in for a while, you enjoy yourself, and you get out. Mm-hmm. You don't sit in a sauna all day long. So any form of synchron- synchronous communication, you wouldn't sit at your desk and leave you know, your, your phone on, on a group chat, a group conference call all day long. It's too distracting. You can't get anything done. You can't focus. So the idea is to plan time in your day. Use group chat. It's fantastic, but use it on your schedule. Just like the email program. Exactly. Use it on your schedule, not when your colleagues decide it's time to ping and ding you. Because look, if you don't plan that time, we know your work suffers. Uh, there's this, uh, there's one of my favorite stories that I relate in the book is of those nurses. Remember the nurses at UCSF? Uh, that that figured out a way to reduce by 88% the third leading cause of death in the United States. The third leading cause of death, believe it or not, 400,000 people are affected every single year. Number one disease in America is uh, heart disease. Number two is cancer. Number three, if it were a disease, would be prescription mistakes. People receiving the wrong medication or the wrong dosage of medication while in a hospital given this medication incorrectly by a healthcare practitioner. And it turns out that this mistake, this completely preventable human error occurs 100% of the time because of distraction. People interrupting these nurses, these uh, uh, doctors, when they're dosing out medication and they mess up, they make mistakes. And the sad thing is they don't even realize they're making these mistakes. And so what's happening is exactly the same thing to us as knowledge workers. We think we're doing a good job Oh, I can manage stuff. It's okay that I have uh, Slack and group chat or whatever open up and email open up all the time, my cell phone pinging and dinging. I'm doing my uh, good work. The thing is you wouldn't even know what you're capable of if you got rid of that distraction. So the solution in the case of these nurses 
It wasn't a multi-million dollar program. It wasn't some fancy new technology. It was plastic vests. Plastic vests that said on the back, medication rounds in progress. And that told their colleagues, leave me alone. Don't talk to me right now. I'm dosing out medication. And so I took a lesson from these nurses and I tried to apply it to, to us knowledge workers. And so every copy of Indistractable has in it a piece of cardstock that you tear out and fold into thirds and put on your monitor, on your screen. <laughs> There's a picture of it in the book. That's terrific. That tells that to, yeah, you got an advanced copy, so it, did, it wasn't in the galleys. But every, you know, the real edition has this. You oh, pull okay. it out, you put it on your screen, on your monitor, and it tells your colleagues, I'm indistractable right now. Please come back later. And yes. it works like a charm. And it's even better than uh, putting on the headphones, because when I see a colleague with headphones on, I really, yeah, you I steer, well, I steer away from them. Now, the fact is, I see a lot of them putting them on quickly when they see me walking by, but that's not important, <laughs> uh, Nir. So, <laughs> well, at any rate, Nir, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? You are more powerful than you think. Amen. I, I mean, I can go into detail, but that's, that's the big message, that if, if we blame these proximate causes, we never get to the root causes. So look for the root cause. Don't sell yourself short. Don't believe these myths that you're powerless we can do more than we think we can. And I, I'm sorry, but it goes back to that same quote from the book that I read earlier. In the future, there will be two kinds of people in the world, those who let their attention and lives be controlled and coerced by others, and those who proudly call themselves indistractable. So, Nir, are there any uh, recent or upcoming books that you recommend or looking forward to reading? Yeah, so there's this good one coming out, uh, Indistractable. I have to plug that one. Yes. <laughs> if it's helpful. Let me tell you. Uh, yeah, thanks. And uh, a book I read uh, recently that I recently finished that I really liked is by uh, Rory Sutherland, who I really uh, I love his writing and his talks. If you've ever heard him talk, he's wonderful. The chairman of Ogilvy. He has a book called Alchemy that uh, is really great. I really enjoyed it. So I'd recommend that one, Alchemy by Rory Sutherland. Oh, that's right. I you know I actually tried to reach out to them. I'll have to follow up again and see if I might be able to get him on the uh, on the. Yeah, podcast. he's a, he's a friend of mine as well. So if you need a connection, just tell me. Oh, okay. Well, thank you. Super. Mm. So uh, we will include links to your uh, website, Near and Far, N-I-R-A-N-D-F-A-R. I see what you did there. Uh, <laughs> and, and as well as your uh, LinkedIn profile and your uh, Twitter handle and, um, you know, all the books that you've mentioned in, in, in this episode, uh, in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com so that listeners can reach out to you and, and connect with you. And, and I hope they'll thank you for being a guest. And we're also going to include your book video there. And for you, dear listener, if you're listening on your smartphone and you've subscribed to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app, all these links can be found by going to this episode and clicking on the link for the show notes. The name of the book is Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. The author is Nir Eyal. Nir, thank you very much for joining us again on the Marketing Book Podcast. My sincere pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And that closes the book on episode 244 of the Marketing Book Podcast. For more, check out this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other helpful resource for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. Special thanks to our sponsor, Hrefs. To start getting more of the right kind of traffic to your website, start your seven-day trial for just $7 by visiting hrefs.com. 
and that's spelled A-H-R-E-F-S.com. And please join us next time as we welcome Dave Franklin to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his book, Marketing to the Entitled Consumer, How to Turn Unreasonable Expectations into Lasting Relationships. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. This episode was produced by Amanda Harrison. I'm in Manhattan. I'm in New York City. Okay. Now, yeah. were you in uh, California four I was. years ago? I moved here about, about two years ago. Okay. Well, yeah. I kind of picked up on that in the, in the book. And are you living in uh, like Manhattan? Yeah, yeah. Very, uh, very close to Grand Central. Okay. Yeah. Well, I lived in, uh, on the Upper East Side for many, many years. Our son was born there at New York Hospital. Oh, no oh, very nice. Very yeah. nice. And, and remind me, where are you now? I'm in uh, the Virginia Beach area. Oh, very cool. Excellent. Excellent. So, in fact, you would appreciate this. My wife and I, you know, we, we lived in New York City. We loved it. We still have a lot of friends there. And our first child was born there. And then, like so many young families in Manhattan, we said, oh, wait a minute. This was a really great place to live, but we got to, we, we better move out. And so yeah. we just, we both found jobs in Virginia doing what we were doing in New York and been here ever since 97. So nice. Oh, very cool. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.